have in my hand the powerful word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. And here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, would you speak to me? In Jesus' name, amen. Give that high five, pound your neighbor, encourage them today in the Lord. Amen. All right. Now, slap their hand, not their upside the head. Now, don't, don't get the dull thud going there. All right. Matthew 6, 24. Open those Bibles to that verse. We read it earlier. Hold it right there. We'll come to it. I want to play a word association game with you a little bit. In spiritual matters, the Bible talks about two kingdoms, earth or, earth or, yeah, earth or, now you're catching on, in two realms, darkness or, very good, two masters, God or, Satan actually is the first thing that comes to your mind, God and Satan, two, two masters here, and Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, you would think he would refer to that, but as many of you have already on to me with our, our verse of Scripture this morning, he refers to God and money. Jesus himself shows money to be equal to God. Interesting thought. Finish up our series, Make Each Day Count. I want to talk to you today about the power of money. Jesus said you cannot have or you cannot be slaves of God and money in this verse, our text, Matthew 6, 24. And the word money is capitalized in most versions. Money, or the King James Version calls it mammon. Jesus is personifying money as a rival God to the true worship of Almighty God. Mark Twain wrote years ago, what is the chief end of man? To get rich? In what way? Dishonestly if we can, honestly if we must. Who is God? The only uh, one and only true? Money is God. God in greenbacks and stock, father, son, and, and ghosts of the same. Three persons in one. These are the true and only God, mighty and supreme. As Mark Twain penned. David Augsburger wrote, Money, 200 proof, taken straight or mixed with many lovely things, it's the most intoxicating substance known to man. You don't think money has power? Why do we refer to money as purchasing power? Why do we attach symbols to money like prestige, status, glamour, and worth? Why do we refer to currency as the almighty dollar? Money in modern society is godlike. It is a substitute God. And if we aren't careful, it will rule and it will ruin our lives. Henry Fielding was right when he said, If you make money your God, it will plague you like the devil. How can we take money off the throne? Dethrone money. How can we take it off that pedestal and break its control over our lives? I want to give you four truths. If you'll apply them, it'll help you in that respect. 
The number one thing you need to remember, the number one truth is that money is God's. Apostrophe S. God's. Many people don't think they should bring God into their finances. And one reason for that is that money is too worldly. It's tainted. Well, I'll agree it's tainted. Taint yours and taint mine. <laughs> it's tainted, all right. But money is God's. According to Psalm 24, 1, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, they belong to God. It's God's money that we're dealing with, and there's nothing too worldly for the one who created this world in the first place. Our house, our cars, our paycheck, our checkbook, they may have our names on them, but God owns all of those things. We may possess much, but we own nothing. The things we have are not ours to own. They are ours on loan. Now, I don't know what you think about Rush Limbaugh, but the statement he makes all the time that is so very true about not only him, but all of us. Talent on loan from God. Amen. Whatever you do, God gave you the talent to do it. He's loaning it to you. It's God's property. It was before we arrived, and it will be after we're gone. 1 Timothy 6, 7 says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. In all of my years of ministry, I've never seen, in all the funerals I've done, I've never seen a U-Haul uh, pulling a hearse. I mean, a hearse pulling a U-Haul. I've never seen it. Never seen it one time. Do you know what you take when you die? Do you know what you take with you? Nothing. Bill Gates, one of the reported one of the richest men alive, 40, worth $43 billion. When he dies, he takes nothing with him. He leaves everything. So when God loans you gifts and talents and treasures and you're gone, he will take those and loan them to somebody else. They're not, gonna, they're not going with you. Amen? So it would behoove us to learn that principle that not just money, but with our time, talents, and treasures, God owns it. Now I want to talk to you about tithing for just a moment. The church boldly teaches that 10% of all that we earn is God's. A preacher once said, it's God's tithe and my offering. <laughs> the first portion is God's, but I think we've taken that instruction too literally, and we think that if we give the 10% to God, then somehow we own all the other 90%. It's all God's. 100% is God's. It's wrong thinking. If money is God's, then what do we do? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says this, Christ says, give me all. I don't want some of your time and some of your money and so much of your work, I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. Boy, that's true. Second truth I want you to know today is that money is to be managed. Once you understand that God is the owner, and you understand our role uh, to His money, His possessions, and His talents... From that very outset, God placed humans in charge of His possessions. In Genesis 1.28, God said to Adam, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God gave us dominion over that. 
We are to control it. We are to hold and check all of it. And Jesus speaks in Matthew 6 in a language of a master to his servant, an owner to his steward, a CEO to his manager. The Bible word for management is stewardship. It means a person who manages things that belong to someone else, a trustee of an estate. The estate is not theirs. They don't own it. They are simply to manage the estate for the owner. And since you and I are managers, that God has entrusted to us, we are to offer God two or three things. First of all, we're to offer God an open hand. An owner has rights and a manager has responsibility. As long as our hand remains open, God can place additional possessions there or He can take out whatever He wants. When children come, little children come and they say, do you have a quarter? You usually reach in your pocket and you pull out all your chains and you open your hand, don't you? And you let them come and pick out what they want. Oftentimes they will take more than they need. Have you discovered that? They usually do. I had a little, a little child yesterday ask to get a, a pop out here, but didn't have 50 cents. So I gave them a dollar to get change. They got their pop. They had the 50 cents in this hand and the pop in this hand. And as they walked back into the room, they weren't going to give me my 50 cents back. I could tell. They were just as proud as they could be to have the pop and plus more for later. I simply asked for my money back, and you could see the look on their face. Okay? But that's what we do. We open our hand, and God wants to deal with us with an open hand. He wants to be able to take out what He needs and to put in what He needs. That's the beauty of the God that you and I serve, isn't it? Is that He will put stuff in that hand, won't He? Yes, He does. He does all the time. And He will give us extra time. He will give us extra talents. Sometimes He gives us extra money. And the thing you've got to do is be ready to give any of that as God gives it back to you. But the first thing you've got to do is to unclench your fist and open your hand to God so He can do what He needs to do, especially in the area of possessions. The second thing that you and I need to give to God is an open mind. Open hand. Secondly, an open mind. In other words, we, every spending decision becomes a spiritual decision. Giving a tithe is not more spiritual than buying a car. Whether we spend money for a health club membership or for a new piece of furniture or support a missionary, it's a spiritual decision. I've heard people say a church doesn't have financial problems, it has spiritual problems. Would you say that's true? No? Yes? Amen? I can wait. I can wait longer. I can wait a long time. Well, we'll get up and walk out. Oh, yeah, you can. And you got to deal with somebody else. When money's not contributed to support the ministries of the church, chances are the priorities of those members of that church are out of order. Amen? It's true for individual believers as well. We don't have financial problems. We have priority problems. Seeking God's will and leading is what we need. Third thing we need to give God. Open hand, open mind. We need to give Him an open checkbook. Stewardship 
cannot be faked. Now, you can fake uh, prayer, you can fake Bible study, you can fake witnessing, but our checkbook always reveals the way we manage God's resources. Completing income tax forms is quite revealing. Does your charitable deduction indicate biblical stewardship? Well, pastor, they only let us claim so much. Are you claiming the max? Are you claiming the max? Well, pastor, I didn't even know I could claim anything. We have envelopes in the back. Those of you that like to give cash and remain anonymous, but we as a church, a nonprofit organization, have to track your giving. So if you give cash and there's no way for you to uh, uh, put that down on a tax return that you gave so much to a charitable uh, organization like your church, we have envelopes in the back. Just put it in there, write your name on it, and that's all you got to do. And we'll take it from there. And our secretary tracks that. At the end of the year, you're provided with a statement. If you, pay, if you give your tithes and offerings by check, then, of course, it comes that way, and we track it that way as well. Most of you know that. I don't see it. I don't, it's none of my business. I don't really care what you give. The only thing I care about is that you do give. But that's between you and God. Amen? Several years ago, we were at a point in our church where we weren't going to have uh, uh, maybe some elders. We were having some guys that had been doing it for a long time. They were ready for a break. We didn't really have any new guys ready to come on. And so there was gonna, it looked like we were going to have no elders. And so uh, we were in discussion about that. And I simply said to the men at the time, I said, hey, we can, we can work with that. We'll just have congregational meetings once a month and discuss issues and go from there, see who will volunteer to, to do things. I said, but there's one thing that I can't do and won't do, and that is deal with the money. Because you do not need your preacher signing checks here at the church. Some churches do that. Some preachers do that. I'm not one of them. I don't want to do it. It's none of my business. That's your business. It's between you and God. My only concern is that you do give something from your heart, either your time, your talent, your treasures. That's all I'm concerned about. If God has your heart, he'll have your pocketbook. I heard a lady one time discussing tithing and, and witnessing about tithing, testifying about tithing. She said the reason most Christians don't tithe is that when they were baptized, they left their pocketbook on high ground. <laughs> but if he's got your heart, he'll have everything else. Amen? We had around 30 people here Wednesday night for the teen choir that sang from Des Moines. Did a marvelous job. Those that came, you know, you were blessed. We took up over $400 for them with 30 people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What generosity comes from God's people. You do so well at that. But having an open checking book, an open hand, an open mind, an open checking book. The third truth I want you to know from our message today is that money is a means, never an end. We get caught up in the net worth statements and check, checkbook balances. How much is in that retirement account? I look at my retirement account and I opted out of Social Security when I was a young preacher and uh, that seemed to be the prudent thing to do at the time and the church was very small and it would have been hard for them to make uh, the, the payroll and cover Social Security and those things so I just opted out of it. I had that option and I did. But now I'm 53 years old <laughs> and do I have any retirement coming? Well, I've got a little bit. I've got a little bit, but not nearly enough. I'll have to preach till I die. That's okay. What better way to go? It'd be great to be preaching up here and all of a sudden, hey, I'm, all, I'm done, you know. <laughs> Some of you thought that happened the day I fell off the stage over there. I got you, I understand. But I bounced back. I was ready to go. 
But there'll be a day I'll probably be preaching long and I'll just kill over dead. Just let me go, would you? Don't resuscitate me. Just let me go. Let me go. Because at least I can say to Jesus, I was preaching, though I was preaching. Because <laughs> I'm sure he's going to have a few things to talk to me about. But money's never an end. It's just a means. Matthew 6 and verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. So money is a means, never an end. How does God use money and material possessions in our earthly life, on this side of glory? Well, I think he uses it in three ways. Number one, he uses it as a tool. The goal of life is not to accumulate more money. It is never intended to be an end in itself, but a resource used to accomplish other jobs and obligations. Money is a God-given resource for the accomplishment of God-given purposes. Money is one of the most significant resources with which we can honor God by serving others. It's a tool. Secondly, it's a test. In the parable of the talents, the master gave three servants money to test their faithfulness and reliability. In the Old Testament book of Malachi, we find these words. God says, bring the full 10% into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. This is the only time from Genesis to Revelation that God says, test me. Test me. And it's about, it's about money. See, money drives us. Money controls us. I had a roommate in college, and when one day he said, he said, uh, Harold, we got to go up to the bank. <clears throat> I said, Okay, I'll go with you. So we went up to the bank. He got up to the teller's window. I was standing behind him, and he said, Ma'am, I have a joint account, and there's something wrong with my account. And she looked at his account. She looked it up, and she said, Sir, I, I, I assure you that you have a single account, you do not have a joint account. He said, no, you, you misunderstand. My account is lower than it was the last time I checked. And somebody has joined this thing and has been drawn out. <laughs> and she's, she assures I thought she was going to hurt him, really. I thought she was. <clears throat> but so often we think because we overspend, somebody else is involved in that. Amen? So often we think that. But we have no one to blame but ourselves if we take a look at where that money's going. But God says, test me in this. So if you are not a tither of 10% of your income, now you might say, do I give 10% of the net or the gross? Well, do you want a gross blessing or a net blessing? What do you want? If you want him just to net bless you, then just give off your net. That's like the lottery and the casino, the lottery and the casino money that was going to help education in America. You see the new ads on, on the TV now? Go out and play the casino. Or maybe it's the lottery, one or the other, but you're supposed to go out and get involved in that because it helps education. Baloney. Why are schools having to consolidate? Why can't they hire teachers in jinx? Why are the budgets cut? Why are they doing all that? Because evidently that isn't working. Amen? But boy, we were sold a bill of goods a few years ago, weren't we? God says, test me in this. So take 10%. Write that check and start to give it for 30 days. I will challenge you for 30 days 
to track the giving you give to River Oaks Christian Church. In 30 days, if you have not received a residual blessing from God in some way, it could be financial, it could be health, it could be some other way. If you can't measure that, you bring documentation of your giving, we'll match it with what you gave, and we'll give you your money back. I'm serious. I am serious I can be. I'm going to take this same test. I'll test you. Come on. Somebody, I suggested that some years ago. One of the elders said, well, preacher, we'll go bankrupt. I said, no, we won't. No, we won't. First of all, it's going to be a huge move for people to give that much money. 10%. 10%. Do we have millionaires in our church? Well, we might. I don't know. Wouldn't it be great if we could get one of these professional athletes to just tithe our church? If they just tithe off of their signing bonus. Glory to God. What are they getting now? $8 million? Sean Mahan, the starting center for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he, signed, he just signed a new contract that guaranteed him $10 million over four or five years. Hallelujah. Now, he's going to struggle, you know what I'm saying? As soon as the season over, you know what he does? For a month, he flies to his home in, in the Bahamas and lives on the beach for a month after the football season's over. Recuperating. You and I need that same option, don't we? I need a home on the Bahamas on the beach. Brother Bryant, we need that. We can go down there and recuperate. You and Sister Lynn need to get away for a month and go down there and lay on the beach. She's hitting you right now, ain't she? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? Money can do great things for the kingdom of God. We've got testimonies over there on our mission board. As small as it is, we've got testimonies about the power of God. We built the church building for uh, uh, Emmanuel. man that was beaten and told to leave the village. Wife was raped right in front of him, nine months pregnant. And he said, I guess we should leave. And she said, only if you don't believe what you've been preaching. And they stayed and they, they, they kept proclaiming the word of God to these Hindus and these Muslims. And now there's 250 people coming to that church. So we built the building. It's, it's there and they're meeting in it. And I hope in December we can raise the funds for Russell and these other four to go so that they can go and they can actually go see that building and talk to Emmanuel. Wouldn't that be exciting? We're going to send Don Baker. Bless old Don. We're going to send him. Curly head and all. We're sending him over. He'll never come back the same. Hallelujah. 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 It's a test. Thirdly, our money's a testimony. God doesn't want his followers to be better than non-believers. He just wants us to be different from them. A Christian who may or may not have more than his neighbor, but that doesn't distinguish him or her. What does distinguish the Christian from their non-believing neighbors is the absence of anxiety and worry in money matters. And we live in a time when worry and anxiety about money is important. And it's happening. Just pull up to the gas station. Oh, I saw him trick us. Didn't you see it the other day? It dropped down to 369 and we were all going, rush in there and fill up quick. Only to watch it overnight jump 10 cents. Wow, it took months to go trickle down. Overnight, pow. Wait till next overnight, pow. What's that? It did last night, went up again. Hallelujah. I say kick it up to $7 a gallon and let's beat them at their game. Amen. Let's charge $400 a barrel for gas, for oil. 
Why not? Why not? Preacher, you've lost your mind. I know. The whole thing's in turmoil. You know why? Because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Giving in churches is off 45% across the board. Whew. I'm thankful we don't have a building payment. I know a church that has a $16,000 a month building payment. That's the first check they write. $16,000. How? <laughs> Woo. If you're going to build them, build them debt-free. Don't build it until you have the money. Oh, that's a nice principle. Don't go buy that car until you have the money to pay cash for it. Hmm. Well, that's a tough one to do. You're having to borrow money to buy food, medicine. People as elderly folks are having to decide whether to buy medicine or food. What kind of culture we live in. And we send billions of dollars overseas. We've got to wake up, folks. Church needs to wake up. Church needs to start to testify and reach out. <laughs> we can live peacefully off of 90, 90% while giving away 10%, while others struggle to live off 100%. Fourth truth I want you to know from the message today is that money is to be given away. Once we understand God's role in money, it's His, and our role, that we're managers, and money's role, that it's a tool, it's a test, it's a testimony, now that we return to that simple, important question, how is it possible to break the substantial power that money holds over us? Very simply, you give it away. You give it away. Now, you and I both know, and we're praying hard that each one of us will win the lottery, aren't we? We do. Don't lie to me. I can go out to the casino right over here on most nights, and I'll find some of you over there trying to strike it rich because you're going to give that tithe to the church. I know that. I got you. I'm with you. You know the gentleman that when he hits, hits the casino brings his 10% into the church. I, he's not a member here, but he feels guilty when he drives by. And we're a good church to drop that money off to, and we are, we're gracious to receive it. I'll receive the devil's money anytime. Bring it over. I didn't spend the devil's money on good things. Hallelujah. You with me so far? He came in one day and he said, Preacher, what big project you need? I said, I need 400000 He goes, Oh, man, I'm going to have to get busy. I said, get on out there. Hurry up. <laughs> I think he took me serious. I think he's been trying to win for <laughs> enough to give me four. How much is that? 10% of 400,000. That'd be four million? Get after it. Get after it. You're promised that, you know, if you just spend that one time. Boom, boom, boom. Gas for a lifetime. How about that one? At Phillips 66. Yeah. Or $6,000. Yeah, well, I'll take gas for a lifetime. Anytime. I think I have gas for a lifetime. There's a greater power than money. And that's that power to give it away. The French sociologist Jacques Ellul, he said, There is one act par excellence which profanes money by going directly against the law of money, an act for which money is not made. This act is giving. It just doesn't make sense to get it and to give it away. Get it and give it away. Get it and give it away. Doesn't make any sense. But we Christians are the ones that understand that. If you have children, you understand that, amen? You have an open hand. Sometimes your hand is tight and fisted and it's still coming out of your hand. Sometimes it's in plastic and it goes. I tell you, paychecks come, paychecks go. If you've got children, they're gone. 
good friend of mine told me years ago, he said, you'll never have any money in your pocket until your kids leave. Man, is he right. Except now that they're gone, it keeps going out to them too. I don't get that. Somebody help me break that cycle. Somebody testify that that's going to change. No, I didn't think you would. Do you realize that Jesus talked more about money than heaven or hell or prayer combined? Jesus knew our money represents the allegiance of our heart. There's a great story in Mark 10 and 21 about the rich young ruler. Jesus said, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. The, the rich young ruler came to Jesus wanting eternal life. How do I get it? The instruction makes sense only when we see that the rich young ruler's wealth was a rival God seeking His complete devotion. And the only way that Jesus knew for Him to break that devotion to that God called money was to give it away. Give it away. I admire people with great wealth who have learned the principle of giving. Because when you can give, you can if you have great wealth and God has blessed you with that wealth, and you have learned the principle of giving to, to, to help people, other people, there's so many blessings that come into your life. One of my favorite commercials, I've told you before, and I'll keep telling you because it was so well done, was, is it Darren Wade for the Miami Heat or whoever he plays for? He's, he's driving an Escalade into an inner city basketball court. These kids are playing. The old coach is there. The, the goal is hanging half down, no net on it. Ball's all chewed up and beat up, got duct tape holding the air in. And Darren Wade pulls up in the Escalade, opens the back of it, and he pulls out this brand new basketball goal. And they set it up. Then he opens up the door and starts rolling out these brand new basketballs. And then you hear him holler at the coach, and the coach turns around, and he throws him the keys to the Escalade. And he pulls out a bicycle out of the back of the Escalade, shuts the lid, and you see him riding off down, up, up the street on the bicycle. And a little bit later, you see the Escalade trying to catch up with him. That's exciting. Wouldn't it be great to have the resources to do something like that? It would be awesome to be able to do that. It'd be awesome to be able to go to India and say, we'll dig a well, $13,000. Here it is. Go dig a well. In fact, we're going to dig four wells. Here you go. I don't know how much four times 13 is, but here it is. See, and there are people that can do that. What a blessing that becomes to thousands. Because when the Christians have the water, have the fresh water, they've got a chance to share Jesus, don't they? Are you with me so far? When we become conduits of money to help people, God brings blessings. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has rightly said, Our hearts have room only for one all-embracing devotion, and we can only cleave to one Lord. John Wesley said, When I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. <laughs> That's why I will never have money, is because I'm too quick to hoard it. Too quick to hoard it. That's why God sent me three boys. Every time I turned around, it was 20 here, 30 here, 40 here, 50 here, 100 here. I got so tired of writing checks. I got so tired of giving them cash. I got so tired of that. But now that they're grown, 
now that they're out of my way. Corey called me the other day and said, Dad, you can take me off of the car insurance. I immediately thought of how much that will be. I immediately grinned and said, I'm buying lunch today. But there's a sadness to that too. There's a sadness to that. But I'm grateful, grateful that my children are learning what it means to take care of themselves and to be givers of their own self. In Matthew 6 and verse 20, Jesus said, But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. There's only one way exists to store up treasures in heaven, and that's to invest in those things that are going to go to heaven. And what's going to go to heaven? Possessions? People. 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 Invest your money at church. Invest your money in missions as we do. We have a very strong missions outreach from our church. We have touched a lot of people over the years through this church. When Eric and Elizabeth were at SAM doing print materials in Spanish, three million tracts were sent out their last year they were there. Three million tracts were mailed out. Hundreds of people. Bibles being printed, distributed anywhere they want to go. Hallelujah. And we're a part of that. When young people make decisions at church camp, we're a part of that. When R.N. Benjari and Emmanuel uh, Namro, when they bring somebody to Christ for the first time in India, we're a part of that. When Central India, we just sent $2,000 to Central India to team up with another church to help build a water well. We teamed up with a church to build that church building over there. $7,500 we sent from our little church. I, I don't know, Jeff, we need to sit down and figure out how much money we've spent over the last five, six years from our church, but it's because of your faithful giving. And we take 10% right off of every week's giving, general fund giving, and put it in missions. They had a stockpile a couple months ago, and, and we kept encouraging them, spend it, spend it, spend it. And they finally caught on, man. And one night, they spent it. <laughs> it was gone. Our secretary said, am I supposed to write this many checks? I said, write them. Get it out of here. We can't hold on to that money. Amen? We got to get rid of it. We got to bless other people. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says, One person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right, only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Picture somebody spraying water on folks out in the hot, hot uh, weather. And when they spray on others, the cool spray off of that water comes back on them. So they receive as they give. That's what you and I do. Now, we shouldn't give our money thinking we're going to get something back called money. We should give our money because we've got it to give, and it'll be a blessing to somebody else. I love to sit in restaurants and pick up the tab of people I've never met before. Something about their spirit, and God speaks to my spirit, and so I'll buy their dinner. I'll buy their lunch. And I just go up to the waitress, and I say, I want to buy that table number eight over there. I want to buy their dinner. And they graciously let me do that, and then they will never know who did it. Hallelujah. I didn't do it for them to know and to pat me on the back. I did it because I wanted to bring a blessing into their life. Maybe you could do that today at lunchtime. Maybe you could be a blessing to somebody else. Grab our youth pastor, Russell, and, and his wife, Tanya. Take them out to lunch. Get to know them. Let their spirit rub off on you. You know, they lost a baby not too long ago. She miscarried. I don't know if you knew that or not. They've worked through it. 
But that, those of you that have experienced that, and I was shocked at how many of you ladies have experienced that. Some of you more than once. I was shocked to find that out. But you became such a blessing to them because you put your arm around them and told them it was going to be okay. They're going to make it okay. As the worship team comes to help me close, I want to be careful when I say these next words. I'm not saying that we should give to get. I've not been saying that all morning. But the underlying truth of Scripture and history is that a generous person will be blessed. One who refreshes others will be refreshed. Give and it shall be given to you. It's a promise. It's a fact. When we give, we receive. We can't outgive. We can't outbless God. Billy Graham wrote, God has given us two hands, one to receive with and the other to give with. We are not cisterns made for hoarding. We are channels made for sharing. If we fail to fulfill this divine duty and privilege, we have missed the meaning of Christianity. When I look at a dollar bill, I don't look at them too often, but they're right here. And I look around on it, I flip it over, and then one thing that I notice about the dollar bill, right in the center on the back, it says, in God we trust. Can you trust God as you give this away? Can you trust God to multiply it and to bless somebody else because of it? That's the answer of the, of the hour. In our text, Matthew 6, 24, he says, You cannot serve God and money. Will you serve God or will you serve money? Father, we ask you this morning to take the words that have been shared. And Father, would you help us to understand that if it's in you that we truly trust, that we can also trust you with our money. So God, I'm asking this morning in the lives and hearts of the people in this room, this could be a turning point for them in their lives, that they would take money off the throne of their life and they would put their trust in Jesus Christ with every facet of their life. Now, Father, you tell us that we're to take care of our families. We're worse than an infidel if we don't. And so, Father, I'm not asking them to harm their family in any way, but I am asking them to look deeply into their heart and to look at their checkbook and each line item that's in there and how much of that balanced against their spiritual giving blesses you. Father, we can all grow. We can all learn. But today is a day of change for some. And would you help them make that with courageous courage would they make that. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a decision to make, would you make it this morning?